On the second and third Sundays of Advent, the Common Lectionary gives us two stories about John the Baptist. I'm going to read these from the third and the eleventh chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when John saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. So that is the beginning of John's ministry and Jesus. Jesus continues with his ministry and John continues with his, but John's ministry lands him in one of Herod's prison. And so the story continues in chapter 11. When John heard from prison what Jesus was doing, he sent by his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one or should we wait for another And Jesus sent to John, saying, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead are raised, and the poor hear the good news. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, as I said last week, there are many good reasons for avoiding the common lectionary, and I frequently do avoid it by choosing my own scripture passages. For instance, every Advent, on our happy, innocent way to visit that harmless innocent in that stable at Bethlehem, we first have to get past John the Baptist. Barbara Brown Taylor calls John the Baptist the Doberman Pinscher of the Gospels. He wears a spiky collar and he latches onto our ankle and he won't let go. And what she means by that is that John the Baptist was mad at everyone about everything. He clobbered the unctuous sanctimony of the religious authorities in Jerusalem. You brood of vipers, he thunders, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the unquenchable inferno? You're a snake. He bluntly opines. And then he blasts the unsuspecting crowds who come out into the wilderness to be baptized by them. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. You're walking the wrong way. You're thinking the wrong thoughts. Turn around and get right with God. When I was 30 years old, my best friend, I can't believe this, my best friend gave me this candid assessment of my personality. He said, you take instant umbrage and you have thin skin. This is not a happy combination. You see something that makes you mad and you say something, you take instant umbrage, and then if somebody says something back, you get your feelings hurt. My best friend. But he's probably right about that and I've been working on it ever since. John the Baptist probably didn't have delicate feelings, but he definitely took instant umbrage. He hates the smug sanctimony of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He hates the complacency of the crowds. But most of all, John takes instant umbrage at Herod, Galilee's governor. 
When John comes upon Herod, Herod is married to a princess, but somehow he manages to fall in love with his brother's wife. So Herod divorces his first wife and begins carrying on with his sister-in-law, who also happens to be his niece. John finds this arrangement to be somewhere between unseemly and obscene. So he takes a megaphone and begins to blast an unholy racket up at Herod's palace window. Or he posts it to Twitter or whatever the first century Palestinian equivalent was. When Hamlet's father is murdered, Hamlet is pretty sure it was his uncle Claudius who did the dirty deed to get with his mother Gertrude, so that Hamlet's uncle becomes his stepfather. How would you like that? Oh, most wicked speed, he clamors. Oh, most wicked speed to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. That's what John will share with anybody who will listen. And it will not surprise you that such brazen candor lands John in one of Herod's dark, dank, dreadful dungeons. Later, he will lose his head over it, quite literally. But there are two reasons why these stories about John the Baptist might be God's very word for us this morning. On this very morning of Advent, John might have been the gospel's Doberman pincher, but the world needs its junkyard dogs, doesn't it? The first reason this might be God's very word for us today is that we too live in the age of Herod. Maybe every age is the age of Herod. Maybe we never leave the age of Herod. But 30 years ago when the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union collapsed, we thought democracy had won. We thought democracy would spread across the globe like a contagion and despots would disappear. But it turns out that in powerful places around the globe, there are potentates imposing their puny, pompous prerogatives on citizens who should be free and equal. In Tehran, the police will murder women who fail to cover their hair. And if you think this is wrong and say so, they will kill you too. In Beijing and Hong Kong, it's either the party or the prison. Either you pledge your allegiance to the premier or he will shut you up. Vladimir Putin keeps hurling missiles at maternity wards and nursery schools. He's like a modern-day Herod, slaughtering the innocents like at Bethlehem when Jesus was born. That was a different Herod from the one we're talking about this morning. But that Herod was this Herod's father, and this Herod is a chip off the old block of that Herod. And yet, in all of these powerful places, with these puny potentates, there are brave, if reckless, protesters who are willing to speak truth to power at great cost to themselves. And so thank God for these people and champion their cause if you can. And thank God you live in the world's oldest democracy where we make our decisions together. Because no one is smart enough or good enough to make the decisions for the rest of us. So we don't kneel to puny potentates. We make our decisions together and we resist and oppose anyone who refuses to count our votes, no matter whom we vote for. So that's the first reason why this might be God's word for us today, the age of Herod. But there's a second 
reason. It's that haunting question. John sends to Jesus from his dark, desperate prison cell, are you the one? Or should we wait for another? Good question, isn't it? Been asking it for 2,000 years. Are you the one? Or should we wait for another? Here I am in this desperate confinement, and there's Herod on his high and holy throne, and there's Jesus tooling around the Palestinian countryside, sharing his homey little stories about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and telling his disciples to turn the other cheek and love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them, which is not a helpful solution for somebody in John's predicament. Are you the one, or should we wait for another? Are you the one we've been waiting for for something like 600 years? Are you the Christ God promised would free us from one invading empire after another? And if you are, why is truth always on the scaffold and wrong forever on the throne? John bet his life on Nazareth, and now it looks as if John may have placed all his chips on the wrong color of the roulette. The one, it's a good question. My friend uh, Shannon Kirshner from Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago asked, have you read the headlines lately? Someone sends her uh, a uh, headline from The Onion. Snowstorm in Chicago delays hundreds of morning murders. Someone else says to her, honey, look, I respect your convictions, but the world doesn't look very redeemed to me. Is this as good as it gets? Some of you are here this morning because you know the answer. You're here out of commitment to that life. You've gotten the answer. You've seen with your own eyes that in the words of Jesus himself, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised, and the poor hear the good news. You're here out of commitment to that very life. Others aren't so sure. You haven't gotten your answer yet. You're not here out of commitment, but out of investigation. You're here as a kind of experiment, a quest for the right answer. But that's a good reason to be here. It's a high and holy exploration, the highest and holiest of your life. And I hope you won't stop asking it until you get your answer. You might even get a negative answer. You might decide he's not the one and we should wait for another. But at least you'll have your answer. And I'm betting you'll get there one day. You remember when Bob Cratchit comes home from church on Christmas Eve? And Mrs. Cratchit asks her husband, and how did Tiny Tim behave, dear? And Mr. Cratchit answers, as good as gold and better. Somehow he gets so thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest thoughts you've ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped people would see him in church because he was a cripple. And it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas Eve, who made lame beggars walk and blind men see? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.